Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And we got a lot to get to because the Sweet 16 action is starting tonight on the men's side. I know everybody is pumped. Everybody's excited to look at their brackets and be reminded of how terrible we all were. All of the games all that of most us. of us got wrong. I mean, <laughs> most if you still have your Final Four intact, I'm not sure we can be friends. Like, that's the easy – I should have checked with you first, Sarah. Do you still have your Final Four intact? Well, I've, as you know, I don't have one single bracket of integrity. Mm-hmm. I have multiple, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm pretty sure I do in at least one. Oh, is this a moment where I can stand up and be like, oh, yeah, well, I only have no, I'm like, I have one bracket and it just sucks. It's one big old barrel of sucks. So I got nothing. We've got a lot of expertise we're going to get to over the course of the next couple hours to get you ready for the games, get you caught up on everything. But before we get to any NCAA basketball, we have huge news today that impacts Major League Baseball and the NBA, and it comes in the form of New York City's mayor exempting athletes and performers from the city's vaccine mandate following weeks of pressure from the sports world after the rule kept Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving from playing in home games was expected to block several baseball players from taking the field in their upcoming season. So uh, the mayor speaking at City City Field where the Mets play said Thursday that he'd sign the order, the exemption effective immediately, quote, I'm going to make some tough choices. People are not going to agree with some of them. I must move this city forward. So Nets fans can rejoice because finally, as they've been hoping for months, they will get to see Kyrie on the court in their city. Yeah, it, this is huge, Fitz. And it's, it's, it's not as simple as just saying that the Nets are suddenly the favorites because we've seen examples where they've got you know both their superstars out there and they don't win in fact we just saw that last night against a Memphis team that wasn't wasn't whole didn't have Ja Morant and, and despite the fact that the Grizz have been good without Ja uh, that doesn't really make things any better or easier for the Nets um, in situations like that they can have both of their guys but it does offer the opportunity for them to ramp up before the postseason with more consistency so that when he is available everywhere except for Toronto, which, by the way, if things ended now, that's who they'd be playing, uh, which is another twist in this whole thing. Um, if if they manage to keep their consistency, find some consistency, I should say, at the end of the regular season, that does really benefit them more than just Kyrie being able to play. But when they do play together, there aren't those gaps um, and those pauses. And that could make a, a difference that we even can't calculate simply using statistics from this season. Uh, Let's get to some Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. There are certain things that we grow tired of saying every single year, and there's certain you and I have have sworn off uh, writing off certain athletes, although we've been wrong of late a little bit. Uh, we've, we've, We've sworn off some of the traps. There's one trap that I find myself every year saying, and that is now in the modern NBA over the last two or three seasons, it's the concept that people cannot play together all year and then it can all work itself out in the playoffs because that hasn't proven to be the case. And we've expected it, especially from big duos where we just look at it and say, yeah, but they're so stinking talented. Right. It'll be fine. My, my real concern here for the Nets is that even coming together, it's a lot to ask for everything now to suddenly line up in an East that has a lot of teams that are really good and find that these two players are enough to, to push the Nets over. So I, I don't think that this necessarily clears everything up for Brooklyn, but it at least eliminates the cloud of conversation that we're going to have every single series. Because I could just imagine, had this not happened now, that we'd be reaching into the NBA playoffs trying to figure out every single game what the policy could be, and that feels like a nightmare also. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Let me give you some facts, and by me – 
giving you facts. I mean, Brian Windhorst is going to give you the facts because he was on first take today and laid out some of the statistics that at least let you know that when these two guys have an opportunity to play together, it makes a difference. When Kyrie Irving plays this year, the New Jersey or the, the Brooklyn Nets are one of the top five teams in the league. They are third in net rating on the road this year. Net rating is how you do per 100 possessions against your opponent. It goes Suns, Celtics, Nets when Kyrie is on the court. When Kyrie is not, when the Nets have been at home, they're 26th. Now, some of that's because they didn't have Durant for a while and some of those home games were awful that skewed a little bit. So you can see they go from being a spoiler in the Eastern playoffs to potentially being uh, the contender. And so this decision is as impactful as anything that's happened in the NBA this year. Hmm. And all of that makes a ton of sense. Uh, and I, I, I'm in for everything that Wendy just said. Maybe I'll just have to admit here because, you know, sometimes you admit your biases that come in. I just think it's such a strange situation to magically say, poof, that's going to make him better than the Bucks, for example, who we've seen go on a run or poof, that's going to make you better than even the 76ers or the Celtics that he mentioned that, that are hot. And I wonder, too, if that's even great. Like, I understand that the ratings will be great for Brooklyn if they go to the NBA Finals. I'm not a total moron, despite popular opinion. But I, I mm -hmm. do have to wonder – when you devalue everything in the regular season the way that does, like it's just, I find myself not rooting for the Nets because it just feels like it makes everything we've watched all year kind of worthless. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be tough because sometimes that happens um, unintentionally, whether that's from a trade or from an injury, where what you see when you get to the postseason is a team that looks nothing like what you've watched most of the year. Sometimes that is intentional. That's teams using DNPs or, or rest days um, on games that don't matter to them or even jockeying for position. And I don't know if that's something that um, – you know, unfortunately, they don't they don't have the power to do in order to get themselves out of a situation where they might end up facing Canada and still have to deal with these with these regulations. You know, Fitz, we also didn't mention that this, of course, affects the the Mets and the Yankees. And June Lee was on Around the Horn today, and he was at Eric Adams' mandate uh, press conference, and is also um, his beat, of course, is MLB. And he did say, for as much attention as we give the NBA and the Nets, and as much conversation there's been about Kyrie. Uh, the big money drivers for the city are much more so the Yankees and the Mets, and that he thinks that eventually this last push was more about what would have prevented those players, unvaccinated players like we we think Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, from being able to train and compete at home, uh, which is a much bigger deal when you look at the number of games missed in ba uh, baseball. And that is some straight talk, straight talk wireless, no contract, no compromise. We'll keep getting you updated as we get more information on it. But we're about to get underway with the Sweet 16. We'll talk to one of our best college basketball analysts next to get all the details you need to save yourself with some knowledge going into this. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app and Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, by the way. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over 700 bucks on average. Let's get ready for all things NCAA with our buddy Sean Farnham, ESPN basketball analyst. Uh, look, it's early in the game. Obviously, Arkansas taking on Gonzaga, but Gonzaga's had to survive a couple of heated games so far in this tournament. What do you make of the Zags' run so far? You know, I, I think that this kind of goes in alignment of what I thought of this team all season long. And I, I covered them probably more than anybody at ESPN. They're a really good team. They're not as good as they were a year ago, regardless of being number one. Not all number ones are the same from year to year. 
this is a different team based on the fact that you lose guys like Corey Kispert, you lose guys like Jalen Suggs. You don't just replace those guys. And I, I think that one of the things that stood out most to me from the first weekend was that they were able to win those games without really playing their best game. And Julian Strother really struggled in the opening weekend. Uh, we'll see how he's able to perform again early in this game tonight. Uh, we'll see how that, that lasts as, as this game progresses, but also as this team progresses on its march. I mean, not being as good as they were a year ago still might make the national championship good this year. Let's go to the other number one seed in action tonight. You got Arizona that needed overtime to get past TCU. Do you see them as being vulnerable tonight? I do, Sarah. I, I really do. I think when you look at the first two rounds, and I look, my bracket exploded on day one, like I'm sure many people's did, but mine, mine really exploded and imploded. I thought it was like a dumpster fire. If there was a meme to describe my bracket, it would have been a dumpster fire. Uh, but I, I have Arizona winning the national championship. But with that being said, in the first two games, they average about 17 and a half turnovers per contest. Now, this is a Houston team that thrives on being disruptive at the defensive end of the floor, thrives on creating turnovers and creating offense off of those turnovers. At times, Kelvin Sampson's team uh, can struggle to score in the half-court set, mainly because they lost Marcus Sasser this year, who was the team's leading scorer. Traymond Mark, who was another good scorer that they had. Uh, and those guys have been gone for a majority of the season. And the fact that they're here and the fact that they had as much success as they had is a testament to the culture of their program, which starts at the defensive end of the floor. In games where they've scored 20 or more points off of turnovers, Houston, they're 15-0 and 0 on the season. So you've you got to figure that if, they turn it, if Arizona turns it over 17 and a half times tonight or 19 like they did in their opening round of the NCAA tournament, there's going to be at least 20 points off those turnovers. Now you're having to overcome a lot mm. uh, because the possessions are a lot harder to come by where you're going to get clean looks just based on how physical – Houston is at the defensive end of the floor. There's not a Baylor defense this year in college basketball like we saw a year ago. But certainly this Houston team can be very disruptive uh, and really force you into some tough contested shots. We've gone this far and not said the word Duke, which I think is against <laughs> all contractual obligations. So how important is it that Duke make it to, to the final in this tournament? Like, is the whole, Does the whole world need that Disney ending? I don't think the whole world needs it. I think that, that – I, I said this from the start uh, – Duke has more pressure than any team in the, in the country in this tournament, period. Because not only are they playing to try to get to a Final Four, an Elite Eight, a national championship, they're playing to extend out their head coach's career, mm -hmm. who is arguably the greatest coach of all time. He's right there in the conversation with John Wooden. Uh, obviously, being a Bruin and being from UCLA, you know where I'm going to lean. Uh, but Coach K has meant so much to the game of college basketball, and it's spanned over decades now. It's more than just the wins. It's more than the Final Fours. It's more than the national championships. His leadership and his voice has been an essential part of, of this sport for the last 40 years. And so the idea that, that you're 40 minutes away from that ending is out there just as much as you're 80 minutes away from making the Final Four if you're Duke tonight. Now, I, I think this game is really intriguing to me based on the success of one team and the strength of the other. And when you look at Duke, they are averaging about 42 points per game in the paint. That is their success at their offensive end of the floor. They drive it. They get in the gaps. They find ways to finish around the basket. The problem is they're going against a team that has been the best team that we've seen since the 08 season at limiting opponents at scoring points in the paint to about 18 points per game in Texas Tech. And so what they do a really good job is, is first they're there on the catch. 
They're pressuring the basketball. They're closing out high side. They're trying to take away the middle third of the floor and force you into their help that's rotating along the baseline and using that baseline as an extra defender. They do a tremendous job of swarming to the ball, then rebounding the ball, anticipating the miss even on layups uh, and shots within the paint based on how well they can contest those shots. And I think that's going to be barely key tonight in this contest is who is able to to have their, their strength be the strength in this contest because Texas Tech's offense isn't as good as Duke's offense. Duke's defense is nowhere close to where Texas Tech's defense is. And that's, that's where that battle is going to be very interesting. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to ESPN College Basketball Analyst Sean Farnham as the Sweet 16 first half of the field is underway tonight. Let's get to Michigan-Villanova. Jay Wright 14-1 and against double-digit seeds in his tournament career, but I think most would agree this Michigan team has not been playing like an 11. How do you see this one going? Yeah, interesting when you think about the fact that this is a, a Michigan team that go back to the preseason where they were ranked inside the top five. Everybody had high expectations. They, they failed to meet those expectations over the course of the season. Then, of course, you have the Jawan Howard incident uh, against uh, Wisconsin. And, you know, Phil Martelli takes over. The team plays its way into the NCAA tournament. And they, they have the components, right? Like Hunter Dickinson is a guy you can play through a lot. And you can get him the ball and post him up as often as you possibly can and then space the floor around him. I I think it's a great story that Michigan's here. I think it's a better story for Villanova. And and a big part of that is the fact that Colin Gillespie is going to go down as one of the great guards of Villanova basketball. And he missed the Big East tournament last year when he injured his knee with about two games left to go in the regular season. Missed the NCAA tournament. Came back for this season. And against all odds. I mean, you look at this team, they're not deep. They don't have post-interior scoring. They don't have size, but they just are so darn efficient. And I think when you look at Jay Wright's teams, what makes them so great is their efficiency. They, they can hurt you at the free throw line. They can hurt you at the three-point line in particular. They jump stop. They're on balance. They rarely turn the ball over. They value the basketball. Uh, I think those are, those are things that help you win in the NCAA tournament. And if you're going to look at the, these two teams, the team that's playing actually probably a little bit better coming into the game is probably Michigan. But the team that I have more confidence in is Villanova. And I mean, look, just from the standpoint of knowing who they are, playing to who they are, they're shooting 41% from beyond the arc so far here in the NCAA tournament. I don't anticipate that that's going to change. I think they're going to have a very good shooting game tonight. And I think that three-point shot probably ends up being the differential because defensively they're going to scheme and try to take, make things difficult for Hunter Dickinson, mix up their coverages. You're going to see double team on the catch. You're going to see double team off the bounce. You're going to see no double team, just stunt and recovery, trying to get deflections and see what they can do there. Um, so I, I like Villanova, though, to win the game. Nobody breaks it down better. Just remember your good buddy Spain and Fitz when UCLA wins it all and UCLA legend Sean Farnham gets us into the parade, mm-hmm. man. We appreciate you. Thanks for hanging out with us, my friend. <laughs> no, no Devontae Adams talk? No Devontae <laughs> Adams talk? Oh, I mean, that, what do you think we're doing on the float oh, during just, the parade? Yeah. Like, all we're going to like, I'll okay, be wearing my Devontae, Devontae Adams and how we're going to have a parade in Vegas, even though, yes. you know, the four quarterbacks in the AFC West are extremely difficult this year, no doubt about it. <sighs> I love you, buddy. Thanks for hanging out with us. <laughs> have a good one, guys. <laughs> I love that Sean Farnham brought Devontae Adams into this. Yeah, makes me very you didn't happy. even do it. Hey, got a question for you. Just talking yeah. Coach K, okay? Will you do me a favor and you have to, you know, scouts honor? Yeah. Will you just put your hands over your eyes right now? 
Okay, I'm putting my hands over my Do eyes. Do not move your hands to type anything or look anything up or look oh, yeah, at I, anything. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm the kid that knew where my Christmas presents were, and I didn't look at them in advance. Okay, good. So, yeah. uh, so Coach K has been coaching at Duke for 46 years. Well, mm-hmm. it has been a head coach for 46 years. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to see if you have learned how to spell his name. Oh, God, no. At any point during that 46 seasons that you've had a chance to. Uh, Although I guess K? you're not 46 years old, so. I'm 40, yeah, well, I'm, I'm close, 44. <laughs> okay. Uh, K R Y K R S Y. I don't know. I, just, I got. I got nothing. <laughs> the third letter is a zinger for sure. Yeah, it really is. It's. Uh, oh, is it the Z? Don't is it sleep K on it. Z? Don't sleep on that third okay, letter. Devin, do you know how to spell it? Devin, producer extraordinaire. No, no shot. Yeah. Okay. It is uh, K R Z. Oh. Get it? Don't sleep on it. K R Z Y Z. E W S K I. Okay. Well, at some point, why not take out one of those Z's? Like, why? We don't need two Z's. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to do, though, with people who, at least, if they're not like well versed enough, they start with an S. How do you spell oh, yeah. Coach Shashevsky? Well, S. And you're like, I mean, I see why you would do that, but the man's name is Coach K. <laughs> well, we live in a well, world I thought he struck where, out a lot. <laughs> like, I, I, I'm constantly bothered by the fact that phonetic is not spelled phonetically. Like, so, uh, you right. know, I, I've given up mm-hmm. on all uh, attempt at spelling anything, which is why, by the way, I deal with the word ducking constantly, because if I take if I take the autocorrect mm-hmm. off of my, you know, always texting the word ducking, obviously, if I take the autocorrect off, most of my friends are going to learn that I spell like a third grader, and I'm not comfortable with that. Well, I think my biggest concern is do you not think that ph makes the sound f no f that's f f phonetic should be spelled f o n e t i c that's phonetic i i mean you might probably need to look at like the root of the word which i'm getting guessing is latin like if you looked up the etymology yeah but of course i haven't looked up the etymology like <laughs> can i get an etymology it comes from the latin phoneticus and the greek right. phoneticos which means to speak I'm just saying, phonetic, it looks like pahonetic. That's what it looks like. <laughs> pahonetic. That's, you know, I'm, you should just be proud I know how to spell phonetically. I'm actually, way. I'm impressed, but if okay. only to complain about how it's not spelled the way you'd like, which I guess oh. is like your one little niche for, under, for knowing things to, like that. Time to remind everybody that I did get a perfect score on my English SAT side. I'm not sure what wow. that says. Yeah, that, I'm not sure what that says about Wait, anything. That's yeah, remarkable, that is, Fitz. That is a what fact. Happened? Uh, yeah, uh, don't talk to me about math, though. Uh, don't talk to me about Kyrie Irving. Wait, do. We'll ask Tim Legler about it next. Spain and Fitz <laughs> on ESPN Radio. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with the ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. We're going to keep you updated on the March Madness action that's going down half the field in play tonight, including two of the top three seeds. Uh, But we got some interesting stuff to get to on the NBA side. So we're going to bring in a special NBA analyst, an expert on all things association. Tim Legler joins us now. Tim, thanks for the time. Let's start out with the obvious news of the NYC mandate changing for entertainers, which includes athletes. Kyrie Irving now able to play in all games of the postseason and starting as soon as Sunday at Barclays. How does this change the landscape of the East for you? Man, well, listen, you know, prior to this news, you couldn't take the Nets seriously as a legitimate contender, like to win it all. They would have been a problem regardless, you know, in, for anybody because they would have those two guys for half the series. So you got a chance when you have that much firepower, but you're not going to win uh, multiple series in the East coming from where they're coming from in the seating without Kyrie Irving every night. So that changes it now. The discussion is, look, you got to 
take this team seriously as a threat to win the Eastern Conference. And I think one of the things that's interesting to me is now that he'll be available every night in in the postseason, he's got the freshest legs of any star player going into mm-hmm. the postseason, and, and that's indicative of what he's doing right now uh, with with this scoring spree that he has gone on. Um, he is absolutely playing the best offensive basketball of his entire career, and I think it's because he is so fresh. So now he goes in with, with those legs. He's spry. He's, he's aggressive. He's attacking. He feels good. You pair him up with Kevin Durant, despite how bad their defense is, it gives you a, a puncher's chance every single night for those two guys to be special and potentially you know, put teams behind the eight ball early in series if they can, if they can get a game. So I just think the whole narrative around their team now changes knowing he, he could be there every night. Legs, how long will it take them to get a rhythm to be the best that they can be? Well, uh, I think they've already kind of figured it out between Durant and, and Kyrie. I think their, their key is going to be where, where, what are the role players going to do? And they're still kind of tinkering with their rotation and who's going to start and who Steve Nash can count on. Unfortunately, it doesn't look like they're going to get Ben Simmons. And I still think that's kind of hanging over their head because even though he's not a guy that is going to come in and give you a ton of offensive punch after missing almost a year – defensively, he immediately is a factor as soon as he steps on the court, and that is something they desperately need. So that looks like it's out, but I think the chemistry between KD and Kyrie is pretty strong right now. They, they have found a pretty good ebb and flow of when each guy is going to be an alpha on a given possession. So I think the rhythm is there. It, it's really going to come down to can they get enough help from role players with timely three-point shooting, and can they defend the paint because they play small lineups, uh, their small ball is, is really porous defensively. So I think there are bigger questions than the rhythm between Katie and Kyrie. I actually think it's been pretty good so far. ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler with us here on Spain and Fitz. Let's stick with the East then. Top-seeded Miami Heat haven't been great of late. They lose to a team in the Warriors who didn't send half their players last night, and then there's a blow-up on the bench. Ramona Shelburne said if it was any other team, she'd be more concerned, but this is just Udonis defending Heat culture and Spolstra standing up for himself. I felt the opposite. I I thought after knowing what Jimmy Butler did both in Chicago and with the Timberwolves in terms of uh, kind of blowing up the team, I was a little bit more concerned about what this could mean for them. Do you think it's more galvanizing or perhaps breaks them apart? No, Sarah, I think, look, it's fair to question, you know, what, what does Jimmy Butler ultimately do to teams? You know, you look at the way he exited Chicago, look at the way he exited Minnesota. He left Philadelphia after being there a short time. It wasn't really contentious, but, you know, it clearly was, was not a situation that was a happy marriage. So now he's in Miami, and this happens. And this organization typically – you know, they, they tend to keep themselves insulated from things like this. So, look, blow-ups happen on the bench. Verbal altercations happen on the bench all the time. I saw dozens of them, you know, when I was a player. What was rare, rare about this, it rarely lasts that long, like an entire timeout. And to see Eric Spolster, a guy that typically is very composed, a guy that has great respect from his players, great admiration, um, to be that upset, that's what was weird about it. Now, here's what I think. Ultimately, they brought this team together and they brought in Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker this year. So some veteran guys trying to put them over the top. Jimmy Baller went there to try to win a championship. I do believe they can use this moment. And I'm sure there were team meetings today and they got to air the room and then they want to put this behind them. They can actually use this to sort of galvanize and be this 
us against the world type of team Mm -hmm. where, okay, all this noise about us now, there's a narrative out there that we've got bad chemistry, that there's fractures in our locker room. Let's go out there and shut everybody up and almost use this as a seminal moment in their season to propel them now because it has been ugly lately. Two bad losses, two teams that had five all-stars missing between them, just beat them back-to-back games. Um, you know, so you say, well, what's going on with the Heat right now? And on top of it, you've got this issue. They can now actually take time, take a deep breath, and use this as fuel to prove people wrong that they're doubting them right now. And, and I've seen it happen with teams. And if any team can, can use that as a positive, I think it's this team. I think Eric Spolster has great perspective. He's not going to hold a grudge. There will be, it won't be awkward. When he walks into practice, you know, with Jimmy Butler the next time, he, he, he's too good of a communicator. He's going to nip it in the bud. Let's get out in front of it right now. Let's talk it out, and let's move forward. And I think the Miami Heat, if anybody can, can move on from this in a positive way, use it actually as fuel, I think it's them. We're talking to ESPN NBA analyst Tim Legler on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Stick it in the East, the Bucks, 45 and 27, third place in the Eastern Conference. All they're doing is sort of sitting there, feels like invisible, especially given what they accomplished last year. Are, are we undervaluing them at this point? Oh, completely. Yeah, and I think that uh, Mike Budenholzer is perfectly fine with that. I think John, Giannis is too. You remember, this is what kind of what they did last year. They had, to, they had the number one seed in the league two years in a row, and they lost in the playoffs without even getting to the finals. So they, they, last year they took a different approach. The regular season wasn't the be-all to end-all. They didn't have their foot on the gas the whole time, and they were very content to let other teams get all the talk and be the sexy stories. They're fine with that. Peak at the right time. Get it together at the right time, and that's what they're doing. And I think they are perfectly content to fly under the radar and just come in here and be playing the best basketball with the postseason starts. I don't think they're worried about seeding as much. Right now, it's, you know, it's really a log jam there, two, three, and four are all in a dead heat, and they're only a game and a half back to the top seed. So who knows how one through four will play out, but I actually don't think the Bucks really care. They care about being healthy, getting some guys back, which they have, you know, Brooke Lopez, Pat Connaughton, and then their top guys playing well at the right time. And I think the Bucks are peaking at exactly the time they did a year ago. When it's all said and done, don't be shocked if the Bucks are representing the Eastern Conference in the finals again. Tim Legler's with us here on ESPN Radio, talking to me, Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz on Spain and Fitz. Uh, the Grizzlies have done remarkably well with Jaw out. I think they're maybe 15-2, and two, and that includes a big win over the Nets last night. But now news that he'll be out at least another two weeks as he continues to deal with knee soreness. How concerned are you for that team? Because as much excitement as there is around John, the Grizzlies, they're still looking to actually make, make a difference in the postseason and take that first step toward contending. Yeah, look, they're, they're, they're a team that is tough. They are confident. They're very young, but they play mature beyond their years with their IQ and their toughness. They've been exceptionally well coached. So, yeah, they've been able to weather the storm with that with Jai out, I think 15-2 and two without him, which is really incredible if you look at it. But I think that's more a testament to the fact that, yeah, John Morant has sort of set the tone for this organization, and they've got a superstar. And when you have a superstar, every night, you know, you've got a chance to have the best player on the floor. And even though he's not playing, that confidence carries over. Because even though he's not playing, he's there. He's part of the organization. They got one of those on their team, and nobody else has one. And I think that swagger carries over even when he doesn't play. So I I think they'll be fine weathering this storm. Because here's the thing. It looks like they are headed for a second-round matchup. Assuming Golden State and Memphis both win their first-round matchups, we can make that assumption. 
they're headed for a second-round pairing. And I got news for you. Whether Memphis ends up a three-seed or a two-seed, they do not fear Golden State. They feel like they've got their number. They think they're in their head. They think they know how to defend them well. And they're going to be extremely confident playing Golden State in that second round. So the, the key is to get Ja back and keep him back whenever he comes. Because as good as this team has been without him, there are things only Ja Morant can do once you get into certain moments in playoff series against the best defenses in the league. And there's all these adjustments are being made against these other guys. One guy in your team at least has to be able to basically be better than any defensive scheme you throw at him, and that's John Moran, and he's the only guy they have that can do that. So as good as it's been without him, it's a great story, and it's kept them in the two spot. They're going to need John Moran to come back and stay back if they want to make a run through the West. And I actually think, look, I don't, I don't know right now. It's too early to tell because i got to see who's back for Golden State and how they're playing. But there is no question in my mind that a second-round series between Memphis and Golden State has seven games written all over it one way or another. Who would win that series? It's too early to know because we got to see what happens the rest of the regular season and then in that first round, who comes out of it unscathed, who's intact, how are guys playing because Golden State's bringing guys back at that time. So I'd have to see that first too early to predict that. But I do know this, both teams fully healthy, that is a pick em series. Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff. Really appreciate the time, Tim. Thanks, Tim. Thanks. Anytime. Tim Legler will be on the call next Tuesday. Lakers versus Mavs on ESPN Radio. Game starts at 7.30 p.m. Make sure you tune in. Also, tune into the ESPN Daily Podcast, bringing you a deep dive into a single story from one of ESPN's hundreds of reporters presented by Supercuts. Download, subscribe, and review ESPN Daily, available wherever you enjoy your podcast. Coming up, a sports reunion announced yesterday, and it got us thinking about the best reunions in sports and beyond, and maybe the most surprising ones, too. It's Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio. It's one of those days we're going to be following along with the NCAA tournament as the men are back in action tonight. We're going to be keeping up with the NCAA, uh, sorry, with the uh, NBA uh, changes due to that mandate that's going to allow uh, Kyrie Irving to play at home and away for the rest of the season and in the postseason, which means that there are so many other things that we're not going to be able to devote enough time to. And when that happens here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we handle it the only way we know how, with some quickies. Quickies with Spain and Fitz. We get in and out of topics fast. Let's start with last night. And we just talked to Tim Legler about it, but I wanted to have a moment to discuss it ourselves, Fitz. You look at that heat blow up on the sidelines, and I've heard a lot of people looking at it as just, you know, this is something that happens. This is just what happens in the NBA when you give up a 19-0 run to a Warriors team that doesn't have Wiseman or Curry or Green or Thompson or Porter Jr. or Iguodala or God knows who else. Um, but I was interested in the re- reaction afterwards, and I think Kyle Lowry handled himself well in trying to tone us down, talk us off the ledge. Here's what he said after the game. Jimmy, one of your leaders going at it, and then Coach Spo getting involved. What was that scene like? Uh, it's crazy, <laughs> but, you know, it's passion. Um, you know, we, we're in a situation where we have a lot of, you know, competitive guys, and, you know, one being our biggest competitor is our head coach, and, you know, Jimmy and, and, and UD, and, you know, tough competitive guys. And, you know, it's, it's good to sometimes get some, you know, anger and frustration out and just talk about it. You know, we're, we're going to have situations that, you know, make people uncomfortable, but at the end of the day, you know, as long as we're comfortable and we figure it out, it's all that really matters, and, you know, as long as we're still together. Yeah, Fitz, I mean, I, I'm not going to argue that the the heat are falling apart and this is the beginning of the end, but I was a little surprised on Around the Horn today when no one really seemed to bite on the idea that, 
Uh, Jimmy Butler has had these issues in the past. And I'm a huge fan of Jimmy. I love watching him play. He's a really funny, nice guy. But um, when he isn't liking the stuff around him, he doesn't He doesn't go quietly. Well, and I, I think it's easy to give benefit of the doubt to all of this and say, you know what, it's going to work out and galvanize the guys, bring them together. I, I understand that, and I certainly can't speak to a locker room culture. I can tell you that I've been on my fair share of tour buses where this happens, and I've seen plenty where it actually does, brings everybody together. But I've also seen plenty where – you say everything's fine, and then one little thing happens, and that sets somebody off. So I think it's a reason for more concern than a lot of people do because as much as we want to look at it and say, hey, these moments happen when things are heated, it wasn't just a quick moment. And it was heated, and it lasted, and it felt like there was just a different level to it. So I don't know. It feels like one or two little things could suddenly become big things, and all of a sudden – you feel like you told everybody you were over it and you're right back to square one. I'm not willing to say that this is something we just wipe off and say it's going to be fine. I also, uh, I don't know if you watched all the clips last night, but there was a great one where in the midst of the screaming and Spo throwing the clipboard, you can hear the uh, PA announcer at the at the court uh, saying, we want to wish a very happy birthday to our own Scott, whoever, and who works in, we love you, Scotty, and everyone, ah! Meanwhile, Spoh's throwing stuff. People are holding Jimmy back. It was uh, was awkward, to say the very least. Uh, we'll see how the Heat fare in the last couple games of the regular season and whether this is indeed something that brings them together. Let's get to our next story. Quickies. Malcolm Butler headed back to the Patriots. And if you recall, probably his most famous moment with the team sounded like this. Play clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line by Malcolm Butler. Unreal. Malcolm Butler, who almost made the phenomenal play that wound up in Percy's arms. There are flags on the field for a celebration. Amazing. Yeah, I feel like I have to apologize to Mina every time we even address that situation. That was Al Michaels on NBC, of course, calling the Pats win over the Seahawks in Super Bowl 49, that goal line interception. But the last time we saw him, not nearly as celebrated. He was on the sidelines for most of New England's loss to the Eagles in the Super Bowl. That was rumored to be a result of a rift that he had with Matt Patricia, who was then the defensive coordinator, who, FYI, is back with the Patriots. So, Fitz, this reunion... Pretty surprising after we saw the way it, it finished last time. Yeah, I think it is the fact that Patricia's back in the building that re- makes it really shocking to me. Like players, I understand sometimes can go back to different cities and different uh, different organizations and feel comfortable again. But uh, you know, this isn't necessarily a easy. You know, hey, we all know how this is going to work out because let's remember. Butler was with Arizona in in 2021, but retired, and he's gone back and forth on play. And so while he brings a resume and a historic play, I'm not sure that I look at this and say, oh, this is a reunion that's made to last. That's right. Well, uh, you know, at his age and at his position, 32 years old at a cornerback, it's just a two-year deal. But I'm still surprised to see him there. And it had me thinking. I said today uh, on Around the Horn, the question I had was on a scale from Guns N' Roses to Oasis to Mm. Pink Floyd, what level reunion is this? Uh, Guns N' Roses said forever. I think it was something like Over Our Dead Bodies. And so when they did get together and tour, it was the Our Dead Bodies tour or something like that. I'm not getting that quite right, but they reference it. Oasis is one where those brothers hate each other so much we never hear about it. And then every once in a while you'll hear and you'll see a story where they're really thinking about possibly getting back together. I think Pink Floyd is the one that like ain't ever going to happen. Uh, so on a scale for, from, from uh, you know, Guns N' Roses to Pink Floyd, 
we want to hear some of your best surprise, shocking reunions, whether in sport or in movies or in relationships or in bands, because uh, this would be up there, Fitz. I, I don't know. This to me is a little bit more like O Town reuniting. Like you just don't <laughs> expect much. You're just like, yeah, wow. it's probably play wow. your one hit Ouch. and then get off the stage. That's it. Oh, Malcolm hit, Butler the, deserves yeah. better than that. <laughs> Oh, it was a good hit, though. All I mean, right. That, Next story. Quickies. By the way, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, at Sarah Spain, if you've got sports or otherwise reunions to throw out there. 17 years ago today, The Office premiered in the U.S., the U.S. version of The Office, which had us remembering some of the great sports moments, whether that was uh, Michael Scott quoting Wayne Gretzky, quoting Michael Jordan, I think is uh, what was on the whiteboard. Um, let's hear a bit of that famous episode where they tackled basketball. Football is like rock and roll. It's just and basketball is like jazz. You know, you're kind of it's all downbeat. It's in the pocket. It's like (laughs) so. We also want to hear from you some of your favorite sports moments on TV shows because the Office basketball matchup uh, that the you know. Roy taking on uh, Dwight, and I believe they just called it the East German gal. I believe she supposedly worked in shipping. Um, that was that was a great one. Yeah, I I will never forget that. That is one of my all time favorite Office episodes, and just watching. Kevin at the end just hit everything, which I read later was something they didn't even expect. It yeah. just sort of happened. Uh, he he started shooting, and they had the cameras rolling. And they were like, "Oh my god!" Which is only funny because he didn't get to play in the game. Yeah, he was uh, he was on Levitard talking about that. Um, we got the football game on the Thanksgiving episode of Friends. Um, mm. We've certainly got if we're going if we're going movies like non sports movies with sports scenes, the volleyball scene from Top Gun. I mean, uh, that's the, the, fantastic. Uh, wedding crashers. That's the most that replicated scene. sports scene of all time. Right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Top Gun, definitely. Yeah. I mean, all the parts of Forrest Gump where he's running, uh, <laughs> <laughs> playing college football. Um, yeah, we got it. We got to get some of those too. So if you guys have favorite sports scenes from non-sports TV, I guess you get their own movies there too. Uh, coming up, we're gonna ask Field Gates a bunch of NFL-related stuff, including the latest on uh, Deshaun Watson and. The wide receiver needs of a couple different teams coming up. God knows we have plenty of football to get to, and we will in just a second. But as you just heard in the Sports Center update, whoo, we got an upset already brewing yet again. Gonzaga finding themselves down at the half. They're down 32-29 to Arkansas. We will keep you updated on the uh, all of the Sweet 16 action. But of note, uh, Gonzaga shot only 35% from the field at season low, 36.7 against St. Mary's, which was their largest loss of the season. So things not starting particularly well for Gonzaga. Again, we'll keep you updated on that, on that but we got some football to get to, too. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over 700 bucks on average. Call or click today. All right, let's get some expertise on everything happening in the NFL right now. From one of our besties, ESPN NFL insider Field Yates joining us. Field, a second grand jury has declined the, to uh, to press criminal charges against Deshaun Watson. So what's the next step from what you can understand in this story? Well, Deshaun Watson remains subject to the NFL's personal conduct policy. So he is going to continue to be under investigation by the NFL as they continue to sort through that matter. And... It's impossible to forecast specifically what will happen, 
but I don't think it would come as a surprise to many if Deshaun Watson does, in fact, receive some sort of suspension from the NFL. We have seen other NFL players who did not have criminal charges pressed against them wound up serving a, an NFL suspension. So we may not get that answer for quite some time, but I think the Browns are aware of the possibility that they could be without Deshaun Watson, and that is part of the reason why they ended up signing Jacoby Brissett after trading away Case Keenum to the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think also of note is going to be discovering whether or not um, there are um, any conditions in the Browns' contract for Watson. Um, and is there any way for us to know that without there being some incident that spurs a, a public revelation about it? Yeah, that's a good question, Sarah. Um, you know, so there's been a lot of talk about the language of Deshaun Watson's contract and how it has been constructed. So I have not had the chance, I don't think anybody has the chance, as a matter of fact, to my knowledge, the deal, while agreed upon, has not been officially submitted for, it has not been officially submitted sort of to the league, which is a procedural thing. I'm not saying it won't get done, but, you know, the trade was only official a couple of days ago. Sometimes these things, in, in what amounts to basically administrative tasks, take a little bit longer to get to the league office for approval and all that. Um, but the one part that's been discussed frequently is the idea that the Browns have reduced his base salary dramatically for this year in anticipation of a possible suspension for Deshaun Watson. And while that is true, and it's possible the motivation for them was because you know they wanted to him, and, and if he had a $10 million base salary and misses eight games as an example, uh, or you know whatever, I'm still thinking of a 16-game schedule, he could be losing close to $5 million bucks, whereas if he has a $1 million base salary, it's a far less financially unitive measure. So it's a long way of saying that but I think the Browns probably were more focused on the construction of the contract from a cap um, cap perspective because it helps them have more cap space this year, which it's not uncommon for a team when it signs a lucrative extension to have a moderate or even, maybe even minimal base salary in year one. But until the deal is finalized and – you know, eventually is submitted to the league. We will not have a great grasp on any sort of language or provisions the team put in to protect itself further or potentially protect Deshaun Watson in the event that he is suspended by the NFL. We're talking to Field Yates, ESPN NFL insider, Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. So, Field, uh, let's move on to some of the other transactions that have happened. Obviously, most notably, we saw the Chiefs trade uh, Tyreek Hill in a move that sort of shocked everybody. We've been breaking it down from all angles. But you and I are going to be working together on the NFL draft digitally. Never too early to promo that. And uh, realistically, now we have a bunch of teams that have several first-round picks, and we have a bunch of teams that have no pick at all in the first round. Who would you rather be in this, this year's draft? Um, I would say, speaking generally, Fitz, I would rather be the team that did not have a first-round pick in this year's draft because some of the players that we have seen trading for first-round picks are not just certainties. They are at the very top of their respective positions, right? And this is not me trying to play the crowd here with you being a Raiders fan than having Devontae <laughs> Adams, but there's no doubt in my mind that Devontae Adams is going to bring more value to the Raiders this year and probably for the next three years than any player they could have selected with pick number 22 and pick number 53 overall. Uh, there are other instances where 
you know, I'm sure the Colts are very much ruining the fact that they do not own a first-round pick because they traded it to Philadelphia as part of the Carson Wentz deal. Um, but I would say speaking generally, I'd rather be the team without a first-round pick. You know, the Dolphins having Tyreek Hill, the, the, the Raiders having Devontae Adams. Like, those are things that they're happy to be dealing with right now um, as opposed to teams uh, like the Indianapolis Colts who are very much frustrated by the fact they do not have a first-round pick. Let's talk about the draft, though. We just saw Marquez Valdez-Scantling go to the Chiefs to try to replace the hole from Tyree Kill. That's maybe helpful to other teams like the Chicago Bears, for instance, who are looking to get wide receiver talent in the draft. Uh, Do you think that the Chiefs will be looking for more to add in the draft, or, or, or is it possibly remove one of the competitors for the best receivers? Yeah, I think the Chiefs are still going to be active in the wide receiver market. And one of the interesting parts about free agency in the NFL, as opposed to as an example, the NBA, is that the NFL's draft takes place after free agency, or at least the bulk of free agency. So things that we're talking about right now, still over a month away from the start of the NFL draft, will not necessarily be relevant to specific teams in two weeks from now, or three weeks from now, or a month from right now, because they may have filled those gaps through free agency, but I do think the Chiefs still need to be in on wide receivers when the draft comes around because, you know, for Kansas City, there's always going to be this balancing act of things that you can do to maximize your win-now chances because, obviously, you have Patrick Mahomes for a long time, but, like, at some point, Travis Kelsey is not going to be this cyborg who is unstoppable by opposing defenses. Um, he's going to be, you know, a little bit more mortal. Um but you also have to balance that out with players that can help you keep this thing going for a long time. And if you look at their wide receiver room right now, obviously they have Juju Smith-Schuster and they now have Marquez Valdez-Scaling, but Juju's a one-year deal, very much a prove-it type deal. And then beyond that, it's a lot of question marks. So the Chiefs probably still need to think long-term about that wide receiver spot. We're talking to Field Yates, ESPN NFL Insider, Spain and Fitz. So Field, for all of the movement that we've seen so far, who do you think has helped themselves the most? Yeah, I think the answer is the Bucks guys. And I know the Bucks haven't necessarily done a ton outside of keeping players around, but think about Tom Brady and him returning. Obviously, that's massive, right? That alone probably will be enough to make them the winners. Uh, but then you think about some of the other things that are taking place around them. You've got a division where you have two teams in Carolina and Atlanta who feel to me like they wished this offseason. Carolina did not acquire any major quarterback as of right now. And Atlanta had to deal with sort of a clumsily handled Matt Ryan departure. And then beyond that, look at the NFC, right? Think about all the great players that have gone from the NFC to the AFC. Russell Wilson and Devontae Adams and Von Miller, who's gone back to the AFC, and Khalil Mack, and all these guys who helped teams, maybe not necessarily contenders, but helped teams in the NFC who are now in the AFC. And it feels like Tom Brady's path to his 11th Super Bowl appearance is a lot easier right now than it was just a couple of years, a couple of weeks ago. Field Yates is with us. Sarah Spain Fitz, J- Jason Fitz. I must forgot your first name. I really no, haven't my, worked yeah, it's, too it's hard. Good. I literally forgot your first name. We do a show together. <laughs> it's fun. Let's check it out sometime. You know, Field, we were talking about how difficult it'll be to predict a lot of the success of teams this upcoming season because of the shakeups at some of the most important positions and coaching. But one of the things we've talked a, a, a bit more about is just the quarterback overload in the AFC and the fact that nine of these quarterbacks will not even make the postseason. Do you think our expectations or maybe our judgment around quarterbacks being 
um, you know, wins being a quarterback stat or ability to lead a team to a certain level might have to change a bit just understanding that very fact that we're going to have such a crowded conference and it's going to be almost impossible for some of the, even the best to advance their teams? That's a good question, Sarah. And to a degree, so I've always, like, I know that quarterback, uh, I know that wins are not just a quarterback stat. You know, I've kind of, and I know a lot of our ESPN colleagues feel differently. If I sort of felt those that like, well, they're not a quarterback stat, I think it is fair to say that no position influences the league more than quarterbacks. So generally speaking, the better the quarterback, the more you win, right? Like you don't see too many guys who are bad quarterbacks who consistently win. So I think there's a tie to the quarterbacks and how they perform and how a team performs and wins. Um, but I think, so yes, we'll have to look at quarterbacks a little bit differently, but I think we're going to have to look at general managers a little bit differently as well, because I think there are some GMs who made some good plans this off season who are simply going to lose out on the playoffs next year because a lot of other teams just play better in big moments than they did, right? So I count, I think, sort of conservatively, 13 teams that I think probably are expecting to go to the playoffs next year. Every AFC West team, every AFC North team. I think the Dolphins, Patriots, and Jets from the AFC East. And then I think the Colts and the Titans for sure, which leaves just the Jets and Jaguars and Texans on teams that I'm not quite sure on, but they may feel differently than I do. Like, it's a super competitive conference next year. There's going to be some really good teams. Like, I almost feel like the NFL needs to introduce, introduce the NIT next year right. because we need to have the equivalent <laughs> like, of that. Like a play-in tournament, the like in fantasy. It's not going to do enough, right? Yeah, you can make your way back in if you make it, make it out of the extra. Yeah, there we go. I like this idea already. I'm into it. Let me be very clear. I would still buy Raiders merch if it said NIT Champions Field. As always, you are the best, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. We appreciate you. No problem, guys. Take care. Talk to you soon. Field always doing great work. All right. A second grand jury has spoken regarding Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson. What's it mean? We'll break it all down next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Over the course of the next several weeks, months, we're going to continue to get more developments with Deshaun Watson. The question is, how does each one impact the entirety of the case that uh, case is out there against him? And what's it mean for the Cleveland Browns quarterback? Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And today, a second grand jury in Texas declined to charge Cleveland Browns quarterback Deshaun Watson after considering an accusation of sexual misconduct. It should be noted, this is a different county. So for everybody that was wondering what happened, Obviously, there were no criminal charges brought uh, by the grand jury last week, which led to everybody, uh, you know, watch, watching for the trade. The trade happens. Now we find another instance that was already apparently in the process of being worked on, and uh, it was presented to Brazoria County. And uh, the district attorney said, quote, after a careful and thorough review of the facts and evidence documented in the reports prepared by the Brazoria County Sheriff's Office and the Houston Police Department, as well as after hearing testimony from witnesses, the grand jury has declined to charge Deshaun Watson with any crimes. Accordingly, this matter is closed. Now, it's important to note, Sarah, this matter is closed criminally, which, again, as we've had to do every step of the way in this, it's almost exhausting, means nothing to the civil side of it. Like, there are two very different situations, and I, you know, I I can't make it any clearer to anybody than reminding everybody that at one point OJ was found innocent criminally and then found guilty civilly. Like, I would think we all have an understanding of this, but it seems we don't. So there are still 22 civil counts out there against Deshaun Watson. 
that are still going to, at this point, according to their attorneys, be looking for jury trials. This is a process that could take a very long time. Yeah, I mean, I think this is something that um, is as interesting for the fact that, yet again, there was not enough evidence for them to criminally pursue the case as it is for the possibility of future incidences like this that you have to wonder if the Browns accounted for in the language of the contract. To your point, the civil cases still need to be heard. And regardless of them having one lawyer, which is fairly common when someone goes public with accusations, then if somebody else has similar accusations, they're probably going to seek out the existing um, accuser and and lawyer. That doesn't mean they're always going to use the same legal um, uh, firm or otherwise. But um, each one of those is a separate case, even if they have the same lawyer. So each one of those will be heard separately in terms of the civil cases. Um, So there's still that to be addressed. But, you know, you just have to wonder if there are women who have not yet come out, if there are any other tentacles to this case um, that might reveal themselves after this contract has been signed, what do the Browns have in terms of protection on that $230 million guarantee? Yeah, that's going to be the sort of the $230 million question. Uh, and, and again, I'll say to everybody, as people continue to yell and scream about what should be done, uh, right now, we just need information. And what has constantly been, I think, the most surprising portion of this to me, Sarah, is that we're having these conversations because a trade was made before all the depositions have happened, before all the information has been gathered, before everything has been made public. So there's a huge risk that has been taken by the Browns that as that happens, the information will come out and it will be less favorable than they hope. And for any conversation about what the confidence the Browns have, I will remind that uh, according to every report we've seen so far and every person we've talked to on this show so far, no one's reached out to the accusers to get their side of it from the Browns or from the NFL. So uh, it just feels like they're sort of running blind here, hoping that everything works out. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, certainly we heard that they spoke to Watson and a bunch of people that are uh, around, that surround him, but that tends to be what we hear. Um, in in terms of uh, teams that want to sign a coach or a player or someone that's been accused of something. Um, I think also, you know, one thing that's always difficult in these cases, and you and I have talked about so many different ones, whether it's, you know, uh, Jameis Winston or or the toxic workplace for, with Dan Snyder, like without hard evidence in the form of video or uh, recordings or witnesses, there's usually an unsatisfying ending. There's an unsatisfying ending if there is no criminal uh, charges or if the civil cases come to nothing that Deshaun Watson was accused and many people will believe he did it regardless of whether there's any actual you know uh, accountability in the form of, of civil or criminal cases it's unsatisfying even if um, he is found and there's not evidence because some people will believe that he shouldn't have been found guilty in the civil cases and it was just a money grab if they don't have full video. And this is something that we went over so many times around the Ray Rice incident. If you remember the language around that case before the video and the elevator was released, I mean, it was some of the worst stuff I've heard on our air from people who just hadn't done the work on issues of domestic violence, power and control until we had a video that showed us exactly what it looks like. And that's just something to remember in these. It's not to falsely accuse someone. It's to continue to have educated conversations, understanding historical precedent about all sorts of things that are related to these kind of accusations. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80 in the ESPN app. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, we're presented by Progressive Insurance. And that's not the only big news today. For anyone that hasn't heard, New York City Mayor Eric Adams is now going to allow athletes unvaccinated for COVID-19 to play home games. 
Uh, he has exempted athletes and performers from the city's vaccine mandate following weeks of pressure from the sports world. This will allow Brooklyn Nets star Kyrie Irving to play in home games expected as soon as Sunday. And also of note, uh, the mayor spoke at City Field where the Mets play. This will allow Mets and Yankees players, Sarah, to be eligible to play when the baseball season starts. So for athletes across and for fans of New York sports, it seems like if you're a fan of your athletes getting on the court or on the field, this is going to happen. Yeah, and, and I mean, this is, first of all, huge for baseball. We're going to talk about Kyrie because we've been having this conversation about the Nets and his in-and-out status all year, but this would have been massive in baseball. Think of all the games missed between the Mets and the Yankees. I'm Still, obviously, Canada is going to be an issue, but um, this changes a lot, and in enough time for the Nets to potentially get together some consistency before they enter the postseason. Yeah, well, and this is going to be interesting from the baseball side. You're right. So much money was spent and so much money will be spent during baseball season that you have to wonder how we got here. And to that end, we will find out how we got here with unvaccinated athletes in New York City uh, not being allowed to participate. Now they are being uh, allowed to participate. Has a double standard been created? We'll ask our next guest, Spain and Fitz, on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Gosh, two nights in a row with some top gun talk. I think that... That uh, we're a success story, Fitz. You know what? We start we, out we with the soundtrack. We bring nothing else to ESPN Radio <laughs> yeah. than Top Gun. We've done our job. We've jobs. done our job. We start with the soundtrack. Today we move to the volleyball scene. Mm. Uh, we're crushing it. We'll get to some of your favorite sports scenes in non-sports TV and movies in a moment. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Uh, we are also going to get you an update on the March Madness Sweet 16 games that are in action right now. But we started the show talking about the New York City mandate change, and we mostly talked about how it will affect the basketball side of things and Kyrie Irving and the Nets' chances. But I want to get a little bit more zoomed out on it and t- uh, help us talk about it. Sports right at the New York Post, Mike Vaccaro is going to join us. Uh, Mike, thanks for the time. Hey, good to be with you guys. How are you doing tonight? Good, thanks. Um, I want to talk about this as a city because I've already seen some examples of whether it was the police chief or uh, um, some of the uh, those representing employees who were fired last month for not uh, getting vaccinated. Um, What are some of the thoughts from other people around the city to making an exception for entertainers? Uh, They're not terribly happy, especially those who who, who were affected by it, their family affected by it. There are a lot of people like that. You know, look, I mean, I think that uh, you know, I think a lot of people thought, you know, even if even if you disagree with the law, you know, if, if the law is going to be applied, it should be applied to everybody. And even if the law, you know, has reached its expiration date, as I think a lot of people think it has, you know, it should still apply to everyone. And, and the fact that it, uh, you know, that there are exceptions, uh, I, I think it leaves a bad taste in people's mouth. I mean, look, I mean, there are sports fans who all they care about, you know, primarily is sports and so they're going to be happy about this, but uh, you know that doesn't apply to you know, everybody, especially those who have already lost their jobs or you know who don't know if they're ever going to get it back again. So why this change and why now, Mike? Well, it's pretty clear that the, uh, that the mayor was very heavily influenced by the by, by the fact that you know uh, if, if opening day arrived and you know several Yankees and then later on when the Mets come back home, several Mets couldn't play. I mean, baseball is a big part of the local economy here. And it's pretty clear that uh, that that ruled the roost. I mean, all due respect to Kyrie, uh, the Brooklyn Nets still don't uh, they don't run the narrative in the city nearly as much as the baseball teams do. And you know, you can argue the baseball team shouldn't have that loud of a voice in in the narrative either. And you're probably right about that. But the fact is that between 
the two entities, basketball and baseball. I mean, with the, 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 the notion that the Yankees and the Mets were going to be playing uh, with depleted rosters, I mean, it, that, that's just something that uh, I don't think he wanted to deal with. I mean, it's two weeks till opening day, and he resolved this now. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 it's a fortunate break, I guess, for Kyrie that, uh, you know, the Nets kind of get to piggyback on baseball's popularity in New York. It's Spain and Fitz, Mike Vaccaro, sports writer at the New York Post. Is it Vaccaro or Vaccaro? I can go either way, but Vaccaro is how my father pronounces it. That's how I usually go with it. All right. I'm, I'm going to stick with that then. You can follow him at Mike Vac, V-A-C-C. Uh, I saw that Lindsay Adler posted on Twitter that the Nets paid Corey Johnson $18,000 to lobby City Hall on the issue. Um, this sort of goes into opposition of claims from Eric Adams that he was not lobbied on the issue. Um I saw a lot of jokes on it. You know, this is based on science, political science. Uh, what do you make of the lobbying and the pushing from the teams and whether that had any effect on this decision? Oh, I think it had a big effect. I mean, and look, it's it's uh, it's, 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 it's the inner pound elephant in the room. I mean, you have two baseball teams in this town, and they mean a great deal. And it, 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 it really does kind of, I think, reinforce where the Nets are in the strata of, of, of sports teams because – you know, there was also some 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 various outrage about about Kyrie on both sides of the issue, but they're the Nets. You know, it's, it, they they just don't move the needle in New York. They don't move the needle in New York nearly as much as they do nationally. Yeah. Um, uh, but when you start to talk about you know affecting people's baseball season in New York, then that was going to be the gloves off. And and and, and you know, what the mayor looked at uh, looked at what kind of battles were looming in the next couple of weeks, and and, and I just think he wanted to avoid that. And, Look to me. I mean, it's uh, you know, as a guy who covers baseball, you know, you know, on one hand, you know, I can't be a hypocrite and say I'm not, I'm not happy. I won't be, you know, covering full ball clubs, but uh, I also look. I, I know my share of firefighters and cops and city workers, and I feel, you know, you know, I don't necessarily know anybody who lost their jobs, but I know people who know people who lost their jobs. Right. And, you know, it's not, it's not great. Mike, one thing that the mayor made clear was this isn't just about sports, that entertainers also needed this benefit. Right. If we take sports out of the equation, are entertainers in New York crying out for this change to be made? I'm sure they were. I mean, I, I don't know that there was necessarily a groundswell. Um, and, I, and I do think that just, uh, you know, the cultures of sports and entertainment, I think, are just different enough to where I, I don't think it was probably going to be that much of an issue. But uh, you know, certainly, like I mean, sports is 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 going to is going to move the needle more. And you know, as much as Broadway matters in New York, as much as it's great to have concerts and stuff at the Garden and places like that, um, you know, that, that that's what really moves the needle. And yeah, there's no ESPN Broadway, ESPN Broadway Two, <laughs> ESPN Broadway now, U, ESPN Broadway now, The Ojo. <laughs> now in five years, in five years when we have that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a good time for me to make yeah. that announcement. I'm branching out. I will solely be covering. I swear uh, to God, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't take me with you, I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> uh, Mike, there is a big difference there. Um, how much do you think that this sort of once this is over, this goes away, uh, you know, because in the sports world, we have a tendency to cover whatever the next big piece of news is and the availability of Kyrie and the baseball season starting. We're going to cover what happens on the field and the court and the action in the games and what that means for the standings. But for the rest of the city, the conversation might continue. Do you think that there will be prolonged response to, to this maybe feeling like a double standard? I mean, uh, yes, and, I, and I, just, I don't think they're going to completely revoke the mandate anytime soon just because I think they got their eyes fixed on on the numbers which seem to be rising again and you know you don't you, you, I, I just think that you know the, the mayor doesn't want to be caught you know having to put the mandate back in place two days after he revokes it for everybody yeah, it, it, it's 
Look, I think it's a mess. And as I said, I mean, as somebody who covers sports, happy to have the full sports teams back. But but I mean, it's a, it, it, it's it's an issue, you know. I mean, it's unfair. I mean, it's just it, it, it's it's clearly a double standard. And when you have double standards, you're going to have unhappy people until that double standard is removed. And we're going to have that for a while, I think. Were you surprised that the mayor made this decision? No, I wasn't. I mean, it would have surprised me if he would have done it earlier. I mean. Uh, and, 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 you know, it's, it, it's interesting because there really wasn't an issue about the baseball team until a couple of weeks ago. And I think just someone asked the question, and they, you know, because I think people just assumed baseball was different because it's played outdoors. And, you know, the answer was no, they, they have the same issues. And so all of a sudden that became a big, big issue overnight and something that the mayor had to deal with. I mean, it's, it's uh, so I'm not. I mean, baseball matters that I mean, I'm not sure what baseball, what, what, in other cities, how many other cities baseball matters as much as it does in New York. But it matters here. I mean, the Yankees get 40,000 fans every night. I mean, the Mets get 30,000 fans every night. And when they're good, they get 40,000 fans every night. And that, that, uh, that's, a, that, that's a tough uh, hit that the city's economy would take uh, if, if, if those teams are adversely affected for a long swatch of the season. The New York Post, Mike Vaccaro is with us here on Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is kind of one of those things where um, – you know, the the uproar about it um, was sort of forgotten, like the reason why. And that was because we are here now able to lessen mandates and make changes to our policies because so many people got vaccinated. Right. The science right. tells us that the percentage of folks vaccinated is what allowed lesser transition uh, a transmission. I should say you were less likely to get it and therefore less likely to give it. It also meant that when people did get it, the, the, the serious and deleterious reactions were less likely. And so to ignore that, the reason we got here is because the mandate forced a whole lot of people that maybe were on the fence to get it um, so that those folks who never wanted to do it could happily carry on without you know, taking that step for themselves and others, uh, that's, I think, a little bit frustrating about this, right? And as we see a, a spread starting up again in, in Europe, which usually predicts what's going to happen here, you have to wonder if any of the athletes on any of these teams feel less safe uh, if their teammates remain unvaccinated. Yeah, it's absolutely frustrating, Sarah. No question about that, because to me, I mean, look, I mean, I think, I, I think people wanted it to, to respect Kyrie's choice but, you know, I also thought it was fair if you said that, you know, just get the shot. I mean, the science is overwhelming that the right thing to do is to get the shot and that the right thing to do as a community is for everybody to get vaccinated so the entirety of the community is safe. I mean, I think, I think that anybody who wants to criticize athletes who don't get the vaccine are absolutely well within their rights, you know, and you know, as are the athletes, I guess, to, to, to make that choice as long as they do it, you know, within the context of the law and are – you know, willing to suffer whatever consequences there are within the law, which, which, which there, for Kyrie there was until today. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fascinating stuff, and I know you've been working a lot on it and certainly will continue to write as uh, these athletes uh, like Kyrie and, and these baseball players get started uh, playing in these games at home. Thanks so much for the time, Mike. Appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Terry, yeah, it's great talking to you guys. Thanks a lot for having me on. You can follow Mike Vaccaro at Mike Vac, V-A-C-C, and follow his work at the New York Post. It's Spain and Fitz coming up. We'll give you an update on the Sweet 16 action currently underway. Also, some of the best sports scenes in non-sports movies and TV. You guys have come up with quite a list. We'll get into it next. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We are keeping an eye on the Sweet 16 matchups tonight, and we are already in the midst of a battle. Gonzaga, the number one 
currently trailing Arkansas by three points with about nine and a half minutes to go in the second half. Um, Woody Page today was trying to talk about how he thought the Zags might be ripe for an upset here uh, and how he had, he had taken Arkansas to get bounced early, but he had found the error of his ways and he got a message from Eric Musselman, the coach, that convinced him otherwise, and then he tried to do whatever that tagline, woo, suey, pig, whatever, and called them all hog people. All the hog people were telling me I was wrong. I was like, oh, no, <laughs> your menchies aren't going to be good. But here they are, leading the number one Gonzaga team. Uh, I'd like to point out quickly, woo, pig, suey. Uh, just Thank so you. There we my go. My menchies, like, no, just, just, just separate them because, my God, uh, Arkansas Stay out of mind. Are... It's not my fault. Woody clouded Oof. my head with, like, Oof. four different versions uh, no, of that's, it. No, that's definitely Woody's fault. Like, there's no, <laughs> there, no two ways about that. But also, like, I just don't know because, realistically, we've seen Gonzaga down in every game. Mm-hmm. In every game so far, I've thought, well, you know, they'll figure it out or they won't. I don't know. Like, th- this is a difficult team to figure out a- at some point. And the fact that they got beat up in the paint in the first round still bothers me, even though they righted it by the end. Uh, Memphis was a team they were down by 10 at the half, too. So, Gonzaga, I want to believe that this makes them stronger, but I feel like every single game they're going to run us through this gauntlet until the very end, which is great for the uh, drama, but bad for belief in Gonzaga long term. Yeah, uh, certainly something to keep an eye on because uh, that is a team in Arkansas that's not going to back down, not going to slow down. And But you're right, we'll see if Gonzaga can pull off um, the second half uh, finishes that they've done in the past. Also already underway, Michigan Villanova. Right now, Nova up 40-31 early in the second, as I mentioned before, Jay Wright, a great record against double-digit seeded teams in the tournament. But Michigan has been coming on strong. We've also got Texas Tech Duke, Coach K, trying to get his 100th NCAA tournament win. He's sitting yeah. on 1,200 total yeah. wins right now. Could this be his last game? And then Houston, Arizona, the nightcap tonight, the second of the two number one seeds in action. I've never tonight. heard of this Coach K guy, but he sounds like he's yeah. pretty good at basketball. Yeah, as it turns out, yeah. his name starts with a K, but it's pronounced Shashevsky. Mm-hmm. Did you hear this? Did you hear this news? I've never yeah, heard this before. Yeah, it's news to me. I've just had 46 years to learn how to spell it, and not a one of us can. Uh, let's get to. <laughs> Is that a statement on us, by the way? Or no, on, you I, know, you know what? Spelling. I just think. I just think. We all have accepted that it's not worth it. Like, there's only so much room in our brains, and Coach K is so easy that why put in the work? You're Just right. not That's, necessary. You're right. Somebody gave us the Cliff's Notes version with Coach K, and then we never had to learn it. Yeah. So, yeah, Just I'm all in for that. That's listen, a good explanation. why read the book when we can watch the movie, I guess, is what we're saying there. Uh, I don't agree with that statement. The book is almost always better. Uh, we asked you guys a couple questions earlier in the show. One of them had to do with the fact that uh, there's an interesting reunion, Malcolm Butler back to the Patriots. Of course, best known for a highlight moment in the Super Bowl, the goal line interception against the Seahawks. But he spent his final game with the Patriots on the bench for most of the Super Bowl due to an alleged quote-unquote illness, uh, but he did play on special teams, that actually most argued was a fight that he had with Matt Patricia, defensive coordinator at the time. So uh, he's back, signed with the team for two years, a very surprising return. So we asked you for other surprising reunions across sports and otherwise. Uh, A handful of folks said the Van Halen reunion with David Lee Roth, the VMAs that immediately fell apart backstage as soon as they were interviewed. Mm -hmm, Uh, Simon and Garfunkel getting back together. Soundgarden. Um, Queen with Adam Lambert. That's not so much a reunion, unless they fell apart and got back together, specifically Adam Lambert. No, I I didn't think that one counted as much, but I do like the Eagles because, I mean, they named a whole record, Hell Freezes Over, because they always said that hell, Hell would have to freeze over for them to reunite. 
and then they reunited and put out like years worth of music afterwards that yeah. wasn't particularly good. But still, it I mean, still was a reunion. It still counts. <laughs> Which uh, brings me to what I was trying to think of earlier with Guns N' Roses. It was not in this lifetime tour. Similar to Hell Freezes Over, but I think I said not over my dead over my dead body tour, which doesn't well, you have combine quite the two the of them, which I, I appreciate. <laughs> yeah. By the way, if we're really being, I mean, reunited, Spain and Fitz was reunited. So true. Like, like I think that we might be at the top. And of I'm list. still sorry I tried to get you fired. You well, know what? I was out of line. If I had a nickel for every person, <laughs> and, and I still don't know how I feel about the Guns N' Roses reunion. Like, not uh, musically. I'm sure re- musically, I'm sure it's fine. I just don't need to see Fat Axel in leather pants. Like, yeah, that's just my I'm role. not going to judge the body, but the performance was not. As someone who spent a lot of high school, just use your illusion one and two and appetite for destruction on repeat, I never got to see them at that age. So only getting to see them on the reunion, it just wasn't what I had always dreamed of. I also went back to listen, and their songs are full of terrible things. Uh, Thankfully, Axel has evolved into a grown human and moved removed and changed most of the lyrics from the problematic songs which is better than i could say for a lot of other bands that have those kind of tunes but uh, going back to listen to get excited for the show i was like oh wow when i was 12 i did not know what they were talking about i didn't know that he had done that and that's oh, yeah. actually like i had no idea like it yeah, shows you they don't play for instance that. the uh i used to love her but i had to kill her song oh, yeah. uh, which yeah. is for the best and there were some racist and other misogynist things that like i just as a kid i guess i, I wasn't listening closely enough uh, and and uh, Axel is like a full blown liberal who like tweets about politics a lot now. So well, very interesting. Change. I was always no no surprise to anybody. I was always more into Slash than Axel. Just like Ditto. Richie's better than John Bon Jovi. I got to meet Slash. And, uh, see, the, the funny the thing aura. is, we were touring in Canada, and Slash was playing a small club, and we got offered a, a handful of tickets. And one of our crew guys was such a massive Guns N' Roses fan. Like, it was life for him, and there wasn't enough to go. And even though Slash was one of my favorites, I had a moment of weakness, and I was like, you know what? <laughs> you should go. I'll see him next time. And I never had a next time. So I, I've yet to see Slash in concert. When I was little, I saw him as a kid. But I've yet to see him just do his thing as an adult when I could actually appreciate him. Yeah, I always had a thing for Duff. And I will say that, um, you know, all due respect, but he could still get it after that tour. That's all I'm saying. Um, uh, Paul Pierce, no <laughs> Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett hugging Ray Allen very, very recently. That like was that. a reunion unexpected. And LeBron back to Cleveland after the Comic Sans. I don't think any of us saw that happening. Uh, we also asked y'all about it's 17 years to the day since the Office U.S. version premiered, and they had the, a couple great sports moments. But I think the most memorable is the basketball uh, in the warehouse. And so we asked you for some of the best sports scenes from non-sports TV and movies. I'm gonna rattle off a handful here because there's some really good ones uh schitt's creek the baseball where david rose has to try to play uh the tennis scene in bridesmaids the basketball scenes in teen wolf that's almost a sports movie yeah that's a sports movie i loved that movie the number of times i've seen teen wolf um the basketball scene carlton's airball and the fresh prince i mean that's that's in the meme hall of fame for sure so is the along came polly basketball scene uh that's in the meme hall of fame um Meet uh, the GIF Hall of Fame, I guess I should say. Uh, the volleyball scene, the water volleyball scene, and meet the parents. Mm, that's good. Uh, uh, can we go back to Teen Wolf? It's Teen Wolf, not Teen Wolf. We're putting the accent on the wrong word here. It's, teen it's, Wolf. It's Teen Wolf. Cause teen it's, Wolf? Yeah, Did I say a, it? I'm Ron Burgundy? Did I, I say mean, it weird? My thing is like the it's like it's Teen Wolf because teen like. Teen Wolf. I mean, not I don't know. Teen that's, Wolf? I, Either I just, way. Are you saying Pam? <laughs> are you saying Pan? <laughs> Wait, are you saying Pan? Um, the Prince basketball scene in Chappelle game. No, that was great. Blouses. Yeah. Uh, street hockey in Wayne's World is where, you know, bringing us back to yesterday, one of my most quoted lines is, 
I don't even have a gun. Game mm. on. Uh, the escape from L.A. basketball scene. LARPing in role models. Uh, Napoleon Not sure Dynamite. Not a sport, but I'm going to go with that. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite. Uh, you know, I used to be able to throw a pigskin a quarter mile. The entire <laughs> end of old school where they're doing all the different, like, gymnastics and other things is so good. Um, Johnny Drama breaking Tom Brady's golf clubs in, in Entourage was a good one. Uh, plenty of softball scenes, both in Seinfeld when George runs over Bette Midler, and then in Curb, there's oh, yeah, great softball. Um, there's two baseball scenes where there's not actually baseball, really. Ferris Bueller, uh, when, you know, hey, bada, bada, Kennedy, 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 so wing, bada. And then also when Harry met Sally, they're doing the wave while he's explaining that he got a divorce, which is <laughs> so good, but they still do the wave during the conversation. Um, and then... Deep old school cut, only you will appreciate Fitz. SNL, synchronized swimming, Martin Short, Christopher Guest. It's a delight. One of the best all time. Hey, we'll see y'all tomorrow for some more Spain and Fitz. Both Martin Short and Christopher Guest will be on Friday and Fitzsimmons next.